I used to live my life a quarter mile at a time. No matter how fast you are, no one outruns their past. I was like, that's the only time I'm daddy. So it just feels very <laughs> odd. <laughs> I'm sorry. This That's the only time I'm daddy. Just fucking killed me. <laughs> Speaking of daddies, we got a daddy and dog. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you did it. <laughs> It's like this is the perfect intro. <laughs> anyway, Daddy Dom. That's Daddy Dom. Sexual. A dummy Daddy. Daddy Dom sounds like a sounds like a top who knows what he wants. <laughs> so we have a uh, so we have Daddy Dom here in this film. And uh, now that I know that I am the one, this is a good peek behind the scenes. You can leave it here. I'm going to log out of my old school RuneScape. <laughs> <laughs> That's normally what I do whenever I am not hosting because it's just passive grinding for levels, just like daddy Dom grinds to take care of his family out in this rural setting. As we open into oh my God. fast nine, it's here. It's here. The day has come. The road to fast nine has ended. <clears throat> and here we are fast nines in front of us. Yeah. So we start the movie and we go out to what feels like not Dom and Letty at all. No. But hold on. Are we going straight into the movie? Or are we going oh, to talk on. about... Hold okay, on. sorry. Getting, I apologize. Yeah. I apologize. I'll you should myself. apologize. I am apologizing. It's not too late to apologize. Listen, Chris. Remember yeah. what we practiced. Yeah. You're okay. Right. All right. So, everything comes together. And the end of the last movie comes out to where... We see apparently a few years later, um, we from when we last saw little baby, little baby B, baby boy, <laughs> baby he's older, Brian. and uh, we see that we have a very different Dom in front of us coming out of Fast Eight, which makes sense considering Fast Eight's things. So I think the first thing of this movie acts as a bit of a shakeup because actually the real start of the movie is everything to do with Dom's dad. So I, I want to ask you in general, of course, how you thought about the movie, but then I'll use that to kind of segue into how do you feel about the way this movie starts? Cause this is kind of a departure from the way that these films tend to start. It's, yeah, it would seem to me. So there were uh, no, uh, no base and no butts in the beginning of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of very different and not crazy outlook that we'll get into in a little bit, but yes, the time has come. Chris, did you enjoy Fast Nine? Yes, I think <laughs> I enjoyed Fast Nine. <laughs> I think I enjoyed Fast Nine. Yeah, I about to say, and when you first said yes, I thought your your pause before saying it, your hesitancy in saying it, makes me wonder. There's a, I don't know if this is a good movie, but it was so fun. <laughs> you know, Here's does that thing. make sense? I think we're in a similar boat. Yeah. To where 
I don't want to say this movie has the same problems as Hobbs and Shaw. I don't think it does. No, it doesn't. I think there are moments where I can take this movie seriously. Mm-hmm. Then there are moments, much like Hobbs and Shaw, where I kind of lose it for a second and audibly laughed in theater multiple times. Dude, that was the I got a little self conscious because I was I went and saw it by myself, and there were people next to me, and like the theater was full but not packed. And I was the only one cracking up at some of the parts of this movie. And I think it was because I was laughing when it wasn't, there weren't jokes. It was oh, just exactly. some of the stuff going on on screen. I was just starting to 100%. I, you know when you laugh, but you, you're trying to stop yourself and it just comes out like a... Yes. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, dude, because the entire time, like specifically uh, the Tarzan part... Uh-huh. I was laughing the entire time because I had seen the trailer, so I knew what was going to happen. And when it started, I was like sniggering. And then by the time it was going and Letty is in the car, like freaking out and you just see Dom just straight face, not reacting at all, staring into, <laughs> into the horizon. <laughs> I just couldn't. I couldn't handle that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, it's interesting because that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, I had a great time watching this movie, and my wife went with me. So we, we continued the uh, thing where she's watching pretty much every entry with me. She the only one she didn't watch with me was uh, four. So smart, good for her. Exactly. I was like, you you, <laughs> you did fine. That's the one you needed to miss. But um, after the movie, her words were, "I've never." Wanted to walk out of a theater more while simultaneously wanting to stay for the train wreck <laughs> in my life. And the the crazy part of it is I don't think I felt that strongly, but it's a fairly apt thing to say about the movie. Yeah, I don't know that I agree necessarily because I would absolutely pay to see this movie again. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. I told her, and I get it because I've had the same thing here, where I said, you know, the thing is, is that I never wanted to walk out of the movies because even when it was bad or arguably bad, when it was just corny and cheesy and stupidly over the top, I was like, it just stopped being serious. And instead it become like one of the best comedies of all time. Exactly. I was like, that's what's going on. And I know it's not meant for it, but it's just like that bad good so yeah. bad that it's it, that the pendulum swings so far the opposite direction that you just love it for a completely different reason yeah and that's i think you know when we were talking about hobbs and shaw last week that's my big hang-up i don't think hobbs and shaw has enough moments to anchor you into the serious and so it ends up feeling like a movie full of unintentionally funny things while i agree with that ironically trying to be more comedic than any of the mainline movies yeah, it it try it was trying real hard. And I real found myself hard. laughing a lot less at the things that were meant to make me laugh and a lot more at the things that were not meant to make me laugh. And that was the the catch up. Whereas I think a lot of this movie was a I think this movie was self-aware. <laughs> it was. Way. It was and they <laughs> I love the uh through joke through this movie of that, that they're invincible. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting because there's so much that comes to this movie. So I guess let's start to unpack it and we'll get back around to the invincible thing. Cause I do love that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, this movie starts so much slower than the last, basically all fast and furious movies aside from the first one 
arguably. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe Tokyo Drift is on is on par with this in terms of not being like world shattering and being a little more toned down. Um, but we open and we see uh, young Dom and surprise young Jacob, and we see Daddy <laughs> Daddy Toretto. <laughs> yeah, Papa there's gonna be a T. lot of daddies here. <laughs> yeah, but we we see Papa T, henceforth known as. So, I feel like it's such a, I don't want to say a stark contrast to what's been doing, but it definitely feels like this movie's trying to come in on a different note. And I don't necessarily know that it succeeds completely. But I do think that being far more grounded and setting up these characters actually did help give me the moments of being able to anchor onto the serious whenever the serious was coming, and which gave me that ability to kind of let go for a second when the movie got a little too crazy. I mean, how did you feel about the opening? Um, I don't know. I thought it was just far too melodramatic for me. <laughs> it's very melodramatic, which yeah. I mean... It's one of those things where they've been building toward this through hints and whatnot since technically the first movie. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, true. We often hear about the the infamous Dom smacking the hell out of somebody with a with a wrench. Yeah, uh, and I mean it's even referenced like in five whenever he goes and he has the wrench above Hobbs and he can slam it down, but he doesn't. So it's even if it's not overtly said, it's implied. And I think when you build to this. I don't necessarily know that there's a way to do that without being at least a little melodramatic, you know? You're definitely not wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I just found the whole thing. It was kind of just like I knew what it was trying to do, but it was also one of these things where I was like, I didn't need this. And I think that's one of the problems with the movies. I almost wish the flashbacks... I almost wish if they were going to do this, it had been the first like half an hour was all the flashbacks, and then the I, movie started. I actually <clears throat> had a little bit of that too. Like, would would this movie approaching a little bit more of a linear storytelling take have helped it? Yeah, but you, you just kept getting breaks, and I didn't need want the breaks. Yeah, because all those scenes were far slower than everything that was happening by the That's time true. the movie starts going. But I'll say, as much as it was melodramatic, do you think that those breaks actually somewhat assisted in being able to anchor you back? I'm not saying for sure. I'm kind of thinking about what it was in the movie that would pull me back in, even once the movie would kind of jump the shark, as it were. And maybe those little scenes of it flashing back to their previous childhood was enough to kind of give you, even through melodrama, a little more serious of an anchor to hit back on so that even if you're kind of like, okay, this probably could have been all done at the first, maybe it was at least a little smart or interesting to use it as a way to bring everything back so that you never get too far away from the human element. I guess you could make that argument. I just, I don't feel like these movies are at their best when they're focusing on the human element, especially post seven. Um, True. I mean, or at least I get where you're coming from. I don't know that I necessarily 100% agree. Um, I, the, but you my, know, when you have a movie <clears throat> series that's become so synonymous with the idea of family, I think that to some degree you almost – and maybe it, it's maybe not when they're at their best, but I think you have to have a human element somewhere. I guess the thing is, and for me, I think the – only people doing good acting in these movies are it was Brian and Paul Walker. 
So like, I think that's why I prefer the human element stuff before in the previous uh, seven, because I just preferred to watch him do it. Whereas like, I don't, I don't like Vin Diesel's interpersonal stuff because Vin Diesel talks like he's trying to seduce you and he has a frog in his throat and it just annoys me. And it works for action. It doesn't work when he's like trying to have deep conversations with Letty. He's like, I love her. Come on, man. You sound ridiculous. Clear your throat. It doesn't hit me that way. I guess it's because it's okay. Like a good comparison point here, right? And it's funny because we're tying back to last week's episode, but Batman. Or I shouldn't say last week's episode in a, in a sense. I, I guess I'm <laughs> talking um, two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, with all that, um, the thing about like watching Christian Bell as Batman is that you've watched Christian Bell in every other movie and he's never sounded like that. And with each movie, he got more ridiculous with it. Whereas I think everything I've ever watched with Vin Diesel, he sounds like this. So I think my brain's able to be like, as sometimes as ridiculous as it may sound with what he's saying. And I, and really, I don't ever know that it does sound that ridiculous to me, but I could see how it would to someone. My brain's able to be like, well, that's just how he sounds. You know, that's, yeah, it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily that it sounds ridiculous. It's just the way he talks, doesn't fit those scenes to me. Yeah. Because like almost you need to rewrite them so that they fit the way yeah. his cadence better. Because the way, like the way he'll say "yeah," it sounds sexual every time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you know, and like that. It's, so it's like uh, you you want to change the kid's diaper? Yeah, it's weird, <laughs> right? Like it's it's it makes it so like it doesn't fit necessarily. Again, see where you're coming from. I don't know that I agree, but we can move past that. <laughs> <laughs> can you feed the baby? Yeah, yeah. I got you. Let me go get in my Camaro and pick up some diapers. Why are you making him talk slower? <laughs> he talks pretty fucking slow. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely not a quick talker. I'll give no. you that. But he, he definitely takes his time. You're making him sound like a radio <laughs> announcer being like, yeah. Do you want to know me? I'm, I'm, yes, I am exaggerating Vin Diesel's cadence. But that's just the way he comes off to me in certain scenes. I'm like, you sound nuts. But yes, we can move on. To your point, to a degree, um, and uh, of course, I just I have to naturally reference Hobbs and Shaw because of how bad I think it fails. So bad. What this movie actually excels at, and at least keeping me as a viewer, not necessarily everyone as a viewer, but me as a viewer, more into what's going on in a way that's not entirely like I'm watching a jackass movie or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So to that degree, uh, there's a lot of human element in Hobbs and Shaw and arguably they don't, it doesn't help that movie at all. You know, like I said, you know, the entirety of going back to Samoa is human element in that movie. And by the, by the time we reach that point, I don't give a damn. And it doesn't help anything. I'm not going to say there's not little endearing moments within that, but for the most part, I was just done with the movie as a whole by then. Exactly. So trying to give me this extra human element 
from an actor that tends to not have the range to pull that off is another thing of like, yeah, I just didn't land right. And yeah. you took too long to build to this. I mean, there's more throughout the movie, but that's like, that's trying to do the perfect 50, 50 blend of all yeah. human element, all action mm-hmm. smacked dab right in the middle. And I don't think it worked at all. I think yeah. that when the movies have to try, I had to kind of trot that line of, the, the human element and the family element, which it tends to always be uh, the family element, which family yeah. is inherently Important. human, so it makes sense. But so, I feel like the Fast series does such a better job of kind of walking that line and threading it to where occasionally the you're going to see that needle and thread go a little bit more to the serious side than maybe it should. And then you're going to see it kind of do the opposite. And as it's, as it's coming back through, it's going to go a little more goofy than it should. Mm-hmm. But it tends to kind of exist in that middle thing much better than Hobbs and Shaw did. I agree. I have a quick question about Hobbs and Shaw. I know this is a F9, but I, I, I'm curious now that we've kind of mentioned it. If if you paused Hobbs and Shaw at every hour and waited a day, do you think the movie's better? Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I could see that. I think the movie was actively worse watching it in a single setting. Like yeah. Single sitting. But yeah, it's like we kind of talked about. It feels like bare minimum two movies in one. Yeah, it does. Arguably three story arcs. Yeah, it's and a trilogy. Yeah, it feels <clears throat> arguably like a trilogy. So I think that breaking that up and finding a way to do shorter movies, considering that you have less characters, like I can understand when you're trying to juggle as many people as you are. And uh, the the main Fast series trying to approach that two-hour mark, I think all of them tend to be roughly 20 minutes too long. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think Hobbs and Shaw is like an hour too long. So yeah, take with that information what you will. <clears throat> but yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that you don't necessarily love the element. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. And I think part of what kind of muddied those waters a bit too is that as much as we've heard the story and seen it and or not seen it, but heard it referenced and um, seen it referenced, I guess we should say, um, it's never talked about Jacob. So trying to shoehorn Jacob in this and trying to make it more than just about Dom losing someone, but also about Jacob losing the father, Jacob losing Dom, Dom losing Jacob, all of this kind of family triangle. I think that that kind of pumps the melodrama a little bit more to where it starts to push a little too much on some people. I think there's a way to tell that not saying it had to, but I think there's a way to tell that to where it's more about how Dom becomes who he is without having to worry about the Jacob of it all. That could have made that a better use. Yeah. Cause but, I think, I don't know. I kind of feel like the Jacob stuff falls apart in the flashbacks because Jacob resents Dom because Dom told him to leave because Dom thought Jacob killed his father and Jacob accepted that Dom felt this way and let Dom believe that he killed his father because of a secret that he promised to keep so he hates Dom because he allowed Dom to think that he murdered his father right I don't get it yeah yeah no it it is a little flimsy and I get that it's like the only thing that saves it is that they were all young at the time. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that saves it. Cause you can look at it and it seems to be implied that Jacob is younger. Oh, definitely. So 
Jacob being, let's even call it two years younger, maybe three. Let's look at, you know, do we know how old Dom was at that point? 16, 17? I'm not sure. I think around 16, 17. All right. So let's say that we're looking at a 14 to 15 year old Jacob who's made this promise and feels the weight of that promise due to the fact his dad dies and the guilt that comes with it. And then also in the moment where he should be able to talk to his brother about it, it's kind of presented as a let's race. Don't say anything. Shut up. And, you know, when Dom approaches, right, when they're young and he's pulling up and he's got out of jail and he comes to the race spot and he's like, why'd you kill dad? And he gives him like less than five seconds to muster it out. I mean, that's clearly a weighted topic not to be had in front of an entire group. So in a way, I could see the the story thread of trying to say like Dom failed him mm-hmm. as a brother by not allowing him the moment to kind of have this conversation one-on-one. Well, <clears throat> but I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying because of how the movie chooses to present it. There's just enough of the back there that I get around it, but I still wish it would have been done with a lot more firm hand guiding what exactly well, see, the motivations were. The only issue I have with what you're saying is the movie, at least the way I took it, implies that Jacob didn't tell Dom. W- Jacob wouldn't have ever told Dom because, because yeah, because he he promises dad. Yeah. So my problem is I get where Dom's coming from, but I don't get why Jacob hates Dom. Because it's not Dom's fault. Like if if I thought one of my brothers murdered my father, I would do the same thing, if not actually kill them. So yeah, like I think it's that the movie implies that, right? I think that it would have been. I I agree that the movie gets a lot better if all you do is remove the fact that it was a secret that his dad told him to keep, and instead yeah. have it be that he felt so much guilt for listening to his dad in this moment, and he didn't want to tell Dom that that's what was going on, let alone like, you know, don't, you don't have to have it be some secret where never tell Dom, just have it where, where it's like, Hey, I want you to help me with something. Dom's not the best for it. And then he feels so much guilt that when it's brought up to him, he hasn't been dealing with it. So he can't yeah. get it out. And then Dom does that and abandons him. And that's why he hates Dom. Cause Dom never let him get it off of his chest and just abandoned him when he needed family the most. Bam, bam. Yeah. But what one line deletion could make this whole movie better. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Which is the whole problem with that that yeah. stuff. Fair enough, yeah. It just seems like a way to explain to you why they never talked about him when in the end I don't care why they didn't really talk about him. Yeah, in the end, no matter what you do, to be dead honest, the, the, I think the biggest problem this movie has is that I don't believe at any point throughout this entire thing that Jacob is Dom's brother. And I think that's due to the way this series handles family. I don't believe one second that we'd go this long without Dom wanting to have buried the hatchet with his brother when he's turning this new leaf over like he has been. You know, yeah, you say that, but- right. You say that, but Dom did think up until the end of the movie that <clears throat> Jacob killed their father on purpose. So I don't necessarily agree. But. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. I still think the way that this movie approaches everything, it, it tries. And I think it at least succeeds in letting you suspend disbelief for a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> times come like the fact that Letty, without having anything told to her, is like that was Jacob, wasn't it? which is a nice way to kind of act like he's existed in this world before today. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the movie super excels at that. But there's also, since we're here, I'll go ahead and say it. 
I think this movie tries so hard to be like, yeah, they're brothers. Like that scene with Helen Mirren where she's like, oh, yeah, there is a bloke who came in and, and with this crew pretty big. Actually, he had familiar features to you. Was he like yeah. a cousin or something? I'm like, dude, John Cena looks nothing, nothing, nothing zero like Dom. It's just nothing. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, work. I, I would have bought cousin. And then yeah. I would have been like, okay, that's why, because I don't talk to most of my cousins. So, like, I get that. But brothers makes no sense. I could see adopted brother. <clears throat> I could see stepbrother. I, you know, there's a number of things that you Let's can tell race stepbro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are, there are a bunch of ways they could have handled it. That I think still have the same weight, right? If you look yeah. at it and you say, like, oh, he was brought into the Toretto family because... Uh, he, he was adopted because the dad took him in from a family that was abusive, whatever you want to say. And then there's more reasons for Jacob's character to be the secretive kind of person that he is, uh, to carry the weight of all this guilt of things. You can make him a more interesting character. But I got I mean, they did what they did to enough to make the movie work plot wise. Mm hmm. But yeah, I, I got to say, the one thing I will definitely say here, here on, I am tired of the extra hidden family members i don't want to see it again i i really hope that we don't get another oh shit turns out letty's got a brother <laughs> <laughs> and he's a serial killer uh, yeah i'm just i'm yeah i'm not ready for it you know uh, uh but that's okay <laughs> i get that um <clears throat> so yeah I guess from there, we actually go into the opening of Dom and Letty, where we see them on the farm, and Dom is clearly doing the the father thing he learned from his dad to teach his young son how to take these tools and whatnot, and it's a cute scene. Cute kid. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, daddy. (laughs) Here's that sucker. Yeah, um, I thought, I mean, you know, those scenes are fine, but it, it clearly yeah, it's set up right. to kind of show you that, like, Dom is out of his element. You know, yeah. like, he's clearly out somewhere else, and he's lying to himself that he doesn't want to live this life, which is interesting, because like I said last time, it feels weird that Dom would get back into it, so I'm glad <clears> they at least uh, did some kind of approaching for that, where it's like, well, we've at least got to show Dom living the uh, living the kind of Tony Stark, Iron Man life post Infinity War, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm out here. I'm out of the game. I don't want it. You know, I got family now. I'm legit. <laughs> Are you surprised they didn't throw a I love you a quarter mile at a time or whatever in this movie? <laughs> I love you 3,000 quarter of a miles. I love that quarter of a mile. <laughs> that would have actually been hilarious if Vin Diesel was like, Ooh. I love you a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> I love you each and every quarter mile. <laughs> <laughs> every quarter mile, my odometer of love resets. I'm surprised that they haven't used that as like a thing for him whenever Letty was coming back from her memory. But like, Letty, I've always loved you. Every quarter of a mile of our lives, I've loved you more and more. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've loved you more with each quarter mile that's passed. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know why my Vin Diesel is turning into like a smoker from the, you know, like in his 70s. <laughs> that would be such box. a that'd be such a good pickup line if you knew someone really into the Fast and the Furious. If you're like, you go on 
a quarter of a date with me. <laughs> Every quarter of a mile, I'll let you decide if you want to continue. <laughs> Every quarter of a mile, there's an exit ramp. If you want to hit the exit ramp, you go on ahead. <laughs> but I'm ready to stay every quarter of a mile for the rest of my life. We're really dragging this in the ground. <laughs> Well, we are talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise, which just if announced anything its is getting dragged on the ground. Movie. Yes, yeah, true. <coughs> um, so we see how protective they are. The guys come out, and bam! This is the big opening part of the story. Mister Nobody caught Cipher plane was being hijacked due to something. Gets this encrypted secret message that only got sent to them and not Hobbs because no real reason. <laughs> Uh, because Vin Diesel and The Rock don't care for each other that much. Uh, yeah, they're mad at each other. Yeah, so uh, this has the exact inverse problem of uh, of Hobbs and Shaw, where I don't believe that Hobbs and Shaw would happen without Hobbs being like, I got to call Dom. And I don't believe that Hobbs would, or that Dom would have this situation and not be like, I got to call Dom <laughs> or call Hobbs, or rather. Hobbs. Yeah. So it's not as bad because clearly there's a lot more team around him that makes it work out and not feel as much like there's a missing puzzle piece. But it is still there. The whole movie, I was like, I feel like Hobbs should just be here. Yeah, it's kind of weird that Hobbs, because they kind of make Hobbs crew and then just never let him back. Immediately leave it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, Hobbs is going to not go back to his life and be part of the crew now. He's going to not be a cop. But then the next movie they do, oh, I'm a cop again. And also the next fast movie that you actually do that's a main line, I'm not going to be in. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, and definitely when it involves Mr. Nobody, who clearly showed in Fate of the Furious that like Hobbs is part of his go to people. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, Hobbs, Hobbs. At this point, they made him into a main character. So, like, I'm sorry that you guys have beef, but it doesn't make sense that he's not here. Yeah. So that's when the globe trotting adventure starts, and <clears throat> we go one step closer into Fast and the Furious Drake's Fortune, um, <laughs> <laughs> and this movie just becomes all out. An Uncharted movie, right? For like yeah. 20 minutes at least. Yep. Every bit of it, I was like, is this what the Uncharted movie is going to be like? Is it <laughs> This feels more believable. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> it's probably not. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we see them go in trying to track down the, the plane, find the plane. They find the half of this device they don't know much about, learn a little <clears> bit more <throat> about it, try to escape when, uh-oh, a, a car with no driver comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I may, I had to make the joke at least once. <laughs> I couldn't see a driver. I mean, either. car had to have been piloting itself. Anyway, <laughs> whenever everything comes up and then we kind of get the reveal, the, the, the re-reveal, I should say, about Jacob, which was teased real quick by Han about uh, rather Dom noticing the cross necklace and mm-hmm. uh in the nobody footage which also kind of take a step to say there's no fucking way yeah. <laughs> there's there's zero fucking way that like splotchy glitchy video you're gonna be able to pause it and then through like a little wiggling of your fingers it just like magnifies exactly where you want and sh- it shows enhance. you so clear enhance. enhance 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 <laughs> Enhance. 
That's not the way um, that works, guys. No. <laughs> Resolution's not infinite. The more you enhance... The worse it is. The worse it gets. <clears throat> I think but, the one one of the logic things that fail there is why they left nobody alive. Other than because it's Kurt Russell and Mr. Nobody. And, yeah, why would you want to take him out? Yeah. Which is weird, though, because the fact that he doesn't show up at all True. throughout the events feels very weird. Yeah. Because arguably, <clears throat> is nobody alive? I think I th- could have sworn he was, but maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken. Because think about it, nobody caught Cipher. Yeah, that plane is there. They have Cipher. They don't have nobody. That's true. Where is he He's at? Been... Well, I'm, I'm imagining that they just like I don't know. You, you, I guess you're right. He, they probably killed nobody. Which <clears> I mean, <throat> at this point, so long as nobody Junior, little nobody. Uh, wasn't gone, then technically there's the, the, the torch to be passed here, which that might have been the point of Fate of the Furious is Kurt being like, I only got like one more movie in me, man. <laughs> you know, so I really only want to be involved in one more of these. So yeah. he did his scenes here. And from here on out, if they want to use that Mr. Nobody character, it's going to have to be Little Nobody. Which would be disappointing because uh, I don't like him nearly as much. Yeah, me either. I mean, he was fine by the end of the last movie or, you know, Fate of the Furious, but he's no Kurt Russell. You know, there's there's a charm to Kurt Russell that I really enjoy him being in these in this franchise. And yeah. I'm so glad, if nothing else, that I've watched this franchise just to learn that he was in it. <laughs> Infinitely more fun because of it. Oh, yeah. Way better. <sighs> so Jacob steals the other half, knocks it out of Letty. Everything happens. And we get... Um, Pretty much the first uh, scene where the idea is planted into <laughs> Roman's head that they're invincible. And I love that scene so much because after it's all said and done, it does two things. <clears throat> I think the first thing it does is it addresses while still letting Roman be what they've had him be lately, where he is the comedic relief and kind of the crazy stuff happens and he just kind of survives but in kind of funny ways but at the same time we actually get to see Roman straight up smoke everybody you know yeah all alone bam here it is this is the action that you've been wanting him to have and I feel like this movie does actually deal with that I think that they were aware of it themselves or they got that feedback from some other audiences something had to have happened because it feels like the movie was trying to be like we still want him to be the character that he is but we got to make him be more integral and more important and actually do something that makes you be like, I believe he's in this. Yeah, that's fair. So just making jokes and plans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but dude, whenever he's done and you see like all of the smoke like coming off of where the bullets hit his uh, bulletproof vest. I loved it. Primarily because this move, these, the series has had a huge problem with not really showing anything happening from all these bullets that are just constantly spraying. You don't ever see holes popping up in the cars. You don't ever see like windshields and stuff breaking. You don't ever see anybody get shot. And I really love that this was like, he got shot, but he was wearing the right protection. And also with that little lucky, you know, luck streak that they have going for him. And I thought it was really cool. It set up everything. Well, Um, John Cena Goes off, drives furiously, <laughs> <And> <laughs> drives off a cliff, gets picked up by what is the first of many magnets. Yeah. 
So like while this. we're talking about Uncharted, I want to take a second here because one thing I've noticed this movie is doing is not only clearly being in the jungle makes you think of Uncharted, but it's doing the these the films have become become synonymous with like globe trotting, which feels very in line with Uncharted. But also it's where like you know every Uncharted had that thing of like well this is going to be like the big focus and the cool thing that we do with this game like oh Uncharted two. Okay, and then Uncharted 2, we're going to show off our snow tech, and we're going to have a lot of snow levels, and it'll be really cool. All right, Uncharted 3, we got this new sand tech, so we're going to do a lot of desert locales, and we're going to make sure that we lean on that and that tech so we can show it off. Okay, Uncharted 4, we're going back to Uncharted 1's real, nat- you know, real crazy natural forest, but we're going to show how much better we can do that now. Um and then they, you know, of course, they have their own thing like, oh, well, we're going to make sure that we do a big thing with like the grappling hook. This movie's. This movie's grappling hook and and sand and everything is just magnets, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I would also argue grappling hooks, <laughs> I, at least in one scene. Yeah, fair enough. <clears throat> um, and of course, the continuing as we go on to learn exactly what the the haves are when we see. Uh, the end result of everyone surviving because Dom just wrecks into a pole that holds the remaining rope for this bridge and then like jackknifes to tie the wheel so that it just <laughs> catches in the tire and swings the car. <laughs> it's so <laughs> dumb and it's so awesome. It, it is. And I also love the look that Letty's given him. <laughs> like, no, no. You just see that steel <clears throat> resolve where he just hits the boost, so he just <laughs> smacks into it. Which, by the way, I don't believe that it just would not stop that car in its tracks. But yeah, have what you will. Uh, everybody that's seen, I'm telling you, the the film, and that's why I liked how tongue in cheek the idea of the invincible theory is, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much that happens in these movies, and this movie leans in harder than any of them, where. Like the whenever he's doing that, he swings up on the side of the cliff. It like smacks into that rock and then flips them all. But then like the car lands and they're perfectly fine. You have so much of that, and then everything that keeps happening, like late movie, whenever the big three section truck is just spinning downhill, and Dom's like, "I'll cut the wheel and it'll land perfectly on this road." You yeah, know, to some he, degree, I like that they brought up that theory because without it, I th- I think it would be a lot harder to take the movie seriously, or to not take it as <clears> just like laugh out loud, funny unintentionally. You know? Yeah, I don't know the. I just like that the culmination of the Road to Fast Nine saga is the Fast and the Furious admitting that these people are superheroes. <laughs> Well, yeah, right? It, and it should at some point. And that's why, again, I think that the the tongue-in-cheek nature of that and the long play out of that and the fact that Roman keeps bringing it up strategically throughout the movie kind of to nail home that the writers are aware of how ridiculous everything is. Yeah. Um, Although I, do, also, ki- I do kind of wish Tej was more in on the joke because he seems like the guy who would be like, am I a superhero? You know, well, he should be the guy, right? He He's, should be the guy who's, and it's funny because this movie introduces or doesn't introduce. Let's just say, uh, let me step back. Clearly, he is, but this movie has him say numbers, like talk about numbers not lying and, and empirical data. And he, of all people, right, him and Ramsey both to some degree should be able to look and go, 
the probability of us dying after everything that we've done is there's no way that we've not overswung the probability. You know, we've outweighed what should have happened by now. Yeah. Strictly numerically speaking. Like if you look at numbers and odds. So yeah, I do kind of wish that I, I get that it was a joke on him, but I wish it was more that Tez was like kind of pulling one over on Roman and having a joke, but also kind of being like, maybe there's something to it. Even if at the end when they were standing in space, I, I can't. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to tangent off my own tangent because how, what logic did they have in their head to be like, yeah, we should get out of this car and wave <laughs> down the space station in the middle of space. Are you kidding me? Comedic relief, bro. Yeah, but they could have floated away. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's a Fiero. Honk the horn. <laughs> they had to remove the horn to reduce weight. So they could <laughs> yeah, that and then the the brakes on the car in seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's funny that you bring that up because I don't know how big of a Dragon Ball Z fan you were growing up. Not huge. But there's this thing where like the movies themselves, which are never considered canon, would almost always have two of the main characters doing something goofy at the end just to be like the the joke the final kind of like haha we're gonna we're gonna end on a lighthearted nature even though half of the planet just died um and there's one that always comes to my mind where piccolo and vegeta are like back to back if i remember on like a little rock island in the middle of like an ocean or river or something and piccolo's like is it over and it may have been Vegeta, but either way, it's it's is it over? And then one of them says it's not over until the fist jumps. And then you see a fist jump in the water and goes, it's over. <laughs> it's a moment, but it, to be fair, it does stand out because I don't know that I'll be able to easily get the image of them blowing up and re-referencing Tez's thing about how the suits will kind of puff up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so funny visual, but it also looked terrible. God, it looks so bad. It did not look good. <laughs> Yeah. So back back to where we were. We're kind of having everybody come together. They're at the you know they they find the place within the UK wherever it is. Maybe it's London. I can't remember. Um, One of nobody's old bases that we come to find was actually a base that Jacob used to operate outside of for Mister Nobody. And the series comes full circle as to how nobody was able to find Dom, which introduces. A new question, and this, and and so does just what we just saw, right? Everything yeah. that happened. Yeah, ask it. How in the hell? This is as serious as I can be. How in the hell do two sons of a normal ass race car driver who is in crazy debt go on to be <clears throat> basically Superman and then Superman's son? Bizarro Superman. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Sure, yeah, Bizarro. That's actually a good reference. <laughs> How does that happen? I. That's one of those moments where you really just got to suspend disbelief because I already have a hard time believing that Dom, of all people, is doing this, right? We've been having our running joke of like he was experimented on by the government and that's <laughs> how he's such a crazy badass. But then comes to find out, no, this hidden brother that we know nothing about Broke off on his own to become a spy man. Yeah, right. You know what's funny is they could have taken the prison opportunity and been like, he was experimented on in prison, and I would have been okay with it. 
Dude, that actually would have been fantastic. That would have been hilarious. Though I have a new ridiculous theory that I don't think you, I think you're going to crack up at. We can All talk right, about it now or we can talk about it later. You can talk about it now. Okay. So while we're talking about the our ever-changing theories of Dom and how Dom is the way he is. Yeah. All right. Hit me. So... Th- so far, we've been building this up to where we were saying he is a superhero and it'd be funny to kind of see him transition into Groot, right? And we were talking about MCU and Disney buying up and swallowing up Universal so they could use these characters. <laughs> yeah. My current, completely not real theory, but just conspiracy that I think is funny is a couple things. I think that behind the scenes, <laughs> clearly I don't, but for the fun of the, of the, of the thing, behind the scenes... Disney is talking about buying Universal and wanting to set up the fast characters to be able to come into the MCU and bring everything together. And so this movie, for the first time realistically, is it consistently overtly religious? Do you agree or disagree? I'm sorry. Can you repeat it? I misunderstood you. So for this movie, in my opinion, this is the first time where they've been like, consistently and overtly religious. Um, I think it's always been in the movies that were like the same gray stuff and there's been little ties to it. But I think like starting it off with the little boy being like God's in your heart and I'm in your heart and all this stuff, you might be able to see somewhat where I'm going here. Basically, Vin Diesel is an angel. Yeah. (laughs) And what we're seeing here is going to be that whenever they bring it in, they're going to make it to where Vin Diesel is Angel from X-Men. Okay. And that's how we start to introduce the X-Men into the MCU. Bam, bam, bang, bang, plow, plow. That's how he doesn't die. That's how he has all these crazy powers. It's why the prayer and saying grace is so important to him. It's why he makes the reference that God's in his heart, and so is he. You know, it's like he's like, God's always in your heart. And then he's like, or he's like, God, the kid says, God's in my heart. He goes, I'm always in your heart. Like, okay. Anyway, it's my own ridiculous take, but I couldn't stop myself from like cracking up while I was thinking about it. Are you Stop. trying to tell me that you think the movie is implying that Dom is God? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> That's fucking sick. <laughs> These movies rock. Because they let you have this stupid fucking conversation yeah, this right is, here. This is not. Oh my god! And I don't movies. even think you can completely say I'm wrong. <laughs> I can't because like the you way disagree, they disagree. But you know, it, yeah, no, I think I would borderline think you're right. Well, and then to a degree, right? Wouldn't it be kind of interesting if like they're playing everything off where it's like to a degree, right? The 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 son, the other son, Jacob, is meant to be like the Lucifer of it all. He was in Dom's good graces. And he was cast out of the racing And then racing he was cast world. out. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Dom, Dom, is, Dom is racing God. And uh, Jacob is racing uh, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him. You know, Lucifer. Yes. All these different names. So Beelzebub. Yeah. My man. So anyway... That's my ridiculous theory that I don't actually believe, but I just think it's so funny because, like you said, because of the way these movies are set up, you can't, you don't immediately toss it out. Like, that's stupid. You're kind of like, well, I mean, 
<laughs> they're invincible, so you could convince me that they're gods. Well, and Dom is their guardian angel to a degree, right? Like I think that that's what's going on. The rest of the guys are all normal, but the reason that Dom is so integral to the team is because he's the one who watches over them, like spiritually, and that's why they don't get hurt and have these moments where everything goes their way every time. Basically, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess he should have done a better job with some of them. Um, <laughs> what's next? okay so we're gonna kind of skip some stuff there's a bunch of back and forth and the typical dom uh is too smart for everybody set up to where uh uh-oh auto called interpol oh look at that dom is getting arrested and then we get to one of the weirdest parts of the movie why the fuck is cardi b in this movie (laughs) <laughs> and oh my god you know this this franchise has a big thing about having like rap stars and whatnot in it and that's yeah. fine all of them i would never have been like oh they're fantastic actors like they're they're like they're fine enough they work they are believable in the moment yeah cardi b is the worst actor <laughs> actress i should say i did not believe her performance one bit i think it's just her voice man because I didn't really have a problem with her look or anything, or even her oh, acting. Yeah, no. It was just the way she talks. Well, and like, don't get me wrong. She has a voice anyway, but the way she delivered her lines were like she was reading from a teleprompter. And oh, even yeah. like she didn't believe what she was saying. She was like, and I got your brother's biometrics, so you could just be fine to him whenever you want. I was like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> it, it sounds like she doesn't even know what she's saying to him. Like she's handing him a gun and being like, here's your brother's biometrics. Yeah. Shoot him. <laughs> It was just weird. I don't know. I mean, I more interesting that apparently Vin Diesel has been like he wants to have her have like more cameos. Yeah, they said he's uh, she's going to have a bigger role in 10. Oh, my God. (sighs) Okay. You don't want more Cardi B? No, not really. You don't want to get in a Rari with Cardi? Is that a song? It is a song, I, I think. <laughs> yes, that is a song. Maybe. <laughs> I'm pretty positive that one of her songs is has a Rari with Cardi. Okay. Fair but enough. But yeah, I, I I don't know. It wasn't for somehow Iggy Azalea was worse to me. Iggy Azalea was also bad. I and, will give you that. And she was in way less of the movie. But I don't know. There's something I like about Vin Diesel's or Dominic Toretto being friends with someone like Cardi B and using them to her advantage or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to yeah who Dom is as a person. Like, even if we back away from the whole Dom being God, <laughs> and what he's trying to do is he's trying to build up his disciples. <laughs> okay, back it off. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I mean, I, it feels like what they were trying to do to a degree with like the, the Kevin Hart and Hobson Shaw, right? But I feel yeah. like as much as I enjoy Kevin Hart, I actually, as much as I didn't like Cardi B's part in this, it was much quicker. And it was more like, okay, yeah, this feels more right here than trying to have that shoehorned in Kevin Hart. So I don't know. It is what it is, but it's just kind of what happened. So, um, we have everything going on where Jacob goes in to steal the other half of the cube and the magnets come back. 
hurrah in big fashion. And we learned that this entire time, one of the crew members, Ramsey, cannot drive. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked that scene. I did too. The right level of like comedic relief, but also still being able to kind of interweave into the action of it all. And I also love the Dom like pep talking her like it's you're the only one that can do it. It's either you or nobody who's going to follow that guy. <laughs> yeah. So fair enough. And I also, but it, it, it continues. And that's why I like this movie being so tongue in cheek constantly, in my opinion. Yeah, because the fact that she walks up to this vehicle that she had zero knowledge of prior and gets in it and it just happens to be the one that have Tej and Roman in it. And they go on and then it just happens to have her turn the magnet on. It's all funny coincidence and it lets the movie play out as it should uh, and then lets them continue their fascination with magnets because they get to put magnets on everything when they get back and also the magnets are the reason that Jacob is caught so sure. uh, so the Jacob getting caught is a really interesting thing because there's tons of stuff with all that I don't believe for one minute as much as they try and have Tesh be like what you can't find magnets that are like this that are these powerful where where'd they get these from I don't believe for one minute that it pulled a car and nothing else that was metal in the in between <laughs> and t- through an entire building well that's the weird thing right is they, they some scenes everything comes to the cars and, and some scenes it's, it's like one thing they it. wanted yeah. And it's also, like, guys, why would the force of that car flying toward that magnet and hitting that magnet not make the magnets in the car fly through the other side of that flimsy box truck? And I'm going to tell you right now, they might have done some work that was just wasn't seen, but if you've ever seen the side of the, or if you've ever been in one of those box trucks, they're, the sides are just like resin or I don't know exactly what they are, but they're just there. There's like the occasional metal structure for it to just keep going on. And uh, a single wood bar that's kind of like bolted along for support and for you to be able to load bar and rail and strap to. They're not very stout. Uh, it just seems so weird. I mean, it was a cool sequence. Yeah. But. Well, I think the magnet would be attracted to the car. So it would go towards the car and the car would go towards the magnet. That's why it wouldn't go through the other side. Maybe, but still that car is moving at such force and the magnet staying still. Yeah. But- force hits. I mean, this is listen. This is not a science podcast. I genuinely don't know the answer to this. That's why I think it's interesting. I feel like my gut is telling me that that force, because you know, there's um, uh, equal and opposite reactions, right? Newton's. Mm. I can't remember what law that is actually. Uh, I don't know if it's Newton's. I think it may be something else. But for every re for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Correct. So what's happening to that energy whenever the car hits? Does the the pull of the magnet dissipate that energy essentially. Well, I'm saying the car would also be pulling on the magnet. So the mag the 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 magnet would be pulling the car towards it, but the car would also be pulling the magnet towards it. So they would end up smacking each other to a degree. But do you think that the the inertia of the car moving while the while there is no inertia on the magnet, it's staying basically static? While I mean, it's moving, but it's not it's not pulling inward toward the car the same way. Like, you know, I think if they were both flying towards each other there, they would cancel each other out, you know, but I think one flying heinously fast at the other, that's static. You know, if, if you listen to this podcast and you're a science major, 
Let us know because Mr. I'm more, Einstein. I think it's I think it just clearly it pulling that whole car just feels ridiculous. But let's say that that magnet was strong enough to pull the car all the way through and selectively that car for whatever reason. All right, what is happening there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, please explain. Uh, yeah, please explain. Uh, right into midweek Matt Naps. I don't think we even have an, an email. We might. I'm just stupid. I think there is. I think it's midweekmatinee at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up on uh, social media, that's also a good way to do it. Yeah, that's probably the better way. <laughs> um, anyway, that gets Jacob in with them. Jacob gets to hear about everything. And uh, side happening as part of this very what do you want to call this? I guess nonlinear storytelling uh, yeah. where they have to break off everyone and follow their stories separately. We see before all this, technically, actually we get to re-meet the boys, the crew, the Tokyo drift peoples, uh, Sean Twinkie <laughs> twink. I love that. That was even brought up. <laughs> do you ever go by that? <laughs> uh, and then I don't remember the other dude's name, but you know, the rocket scientist of it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad my boys are back. That's all I'm at. That's all I'm saying. I audibly was like, yeah, in the theater. And my wife my looked mans. over and I'm just like grinning ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I really liked that moment with them where uh, Roman and Tej, like Dominic Toretto sent us. And then you get that scene of them like that typical like we remember. And then they go, the fuck is Dominic Toretto? <laughs> I love that. This this movie's use of comedic relief, I think, is so much better than the last ones. Like, Fate of the Furious had it, and I know it's a much more serious tone movie, but whoo, this movie was like left and right. And I think again, right, it's because the movie's not as overtly serious and it's more tongue in cheek. So all of these things together make the moments where it's serious feel fitting, and the moments where it's kind of goofy for a second feel equally fitting. It's good. I love it. Yeah, I'm That's totally why, with you. Like you're saying, it's hard to say whether or not this movie's great in some aspects. <laughs> is it great at being a bad movie? Yeah, it definitely is great at that. <laughs> um, and then the other team, of course, are showing up in Tokyo and having their little heart-to-heart girl moment, which uh, I did in my notes put. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, we lead to... Um, Mia and Letty finding Han's Mexico flag, which I actually thought was kind of a cool pullback, uh, and going up to the apartment, going into it, and then having L, as we come to learn her, be called, be like, Mia, Letty, get down, because she realizes people are coming, and we get to have our Avengers in-game girl power scene. But it's so, <laughs> it's so much more natural and way better pulled off than like the super over the top nature of Endgame. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, and it was on my mind because you know they were talking about potentially doing a girl spinoff film, and there was this story where Michelle Rodriguez was apparently talking about stepping away from the franchise unless they upped the amount of like girl representation in it, which uh-huh. I find interesting because I think every movie has done a great job in pulling more females in that are like empowered females. Um, and I don't feel, I feel like there's been a shortage of them and every movie continues to add them. So n- I don't know if that was like taken in a weird way where she's been pushing for that with each movie and that's why we keep getting them. Or if she was just suddenly out of the blue, like we need more women. I'm just, I'm curious more than anything. Yeah. 
in the scene with them, like I know she had mentioned that she wanted more scenes with Jordana Brewster, and I was like, oh, like it was one of those where I was like, I could tell that you kind of just put this weird ramen scene in here so they could talk for a minute. <laughs> yeah, instead of just going straight and like going there and seeing it, you know, and kind of cutting that scene down a bit. It was like they gave an extra five minutes, which whatever, it's five minutes, like one percent of the movie. It just seemed it, it was noticeable what they were doing with that knowledge in your head, you know. True, but I also think I agree that that's what it was there for. But I think that they did use it to set one thing up, which is Mia's willingness to look differently at Jacob than Dom, uh, and that's kind of explained there, right? She's talking about the fact that she kept in touch with him for a while behind Dom's back, and that one day he just cold shouldered her and said, "Don't to look, not to look for him." And she hasn't heard from him since. She's always wondered. And I feel like that works for setting up the scene where she eventually kind of has Jacob come back towards their side to a degree after he gets um, betrayed. And then yeah. she offers him the car. Like, you know, she's, you can see that she's there when Dom is not. Like, Dom's not as immediately there. Um, so it's interesting uh, seeing how that's set up. But yeah, I mean, I actually didn't mind the girl power scene. And, Interestingly enough, I think from the way that these movies have set it up, I think I would watch a uh, all-girl Fast and Furious spinoff. No problems. I would. I just need to know who's in it, you know. Yeah, um, I think the hard part's always when Dom's not there, it's like, what What are you doing, right? And that's why I, I thought Hobbs and Shaw was an interesting thing of setting up what I think is a bad precedent of where the side movies have to have equally as top-notch action. And I shouldn't even say top-notch action high threat action where it's like world level destruction, you know? Cause then why is, why is everyone not there? Yeah. It, I don't know. I was talking to a, a friend today about like the Mia stuff and I was like, it makes it really weird that Brian's not in this movie with Mia being in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I was going to ask how you felt about that. I, I don't mind it. It's just so noticeable that you'd think, I don't know, like, I get it. You want to have Mia in the movie, and Mia's an important character. But when her character is so tied to Brian, and Brian was a main member of the crew, you know, Diesel or Dom's second in command, it's kind of noticeable that he's not there when she is. Yeah, fair. I mean, I agree. I kind of like the way they did it, right? Because in theater, my wife was like, <laughs> Um, so he just, who did he leave the kid with whenever Vin Diesel ends up deciding, or Dom, sorry, ends up deciding to go with the crew because he sees the necklace? He was like, where did he leave the kid? I was like, presumably Brian and Mia. But I knew at this point that Mia was in this movie. Right. So I was like, that means that somehow, some way she's involved. Yeah. So, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to be sexist when I say this, but like, in terms of this franchise especially, I feel like if anyone was going to stay home to, with the kids, it would be Mia. And Brian, again, as a character, taking a part out that he's a god in real life, Brian would have been the one to go help them. Does that make sense? Because... It makes sense from a... Because like, it's not that Mia isn't capable. Clearly, she is a capable person. She's Brian, just not Brian. Yeah, Brian has always been like the right-behind-Dom guy. That yeah. up until he, you know, had to be removed from the franchise because of what happened. But that's what they built him for. So when you're going to keep him alive in lore, which I understand and I even respect to a small degree, um, 
when you're going to do that, it does feel weird to not have him come forth. But I think the movie is able to at least somewhat skirt that better than others because of the uh oh hidden <laughs> hidden <laughs> secret sibling. And Dom has every reason to be like, you shouldn't be here just as much as Mia has every reason to be like, but he's my brother. Like, yeah. you know, there's no emotional reason for Brian to be there while there's an emotional reason for Mia to want to be there. Yeah. So there that, is. even just, if it's just seeing him, so the movie works around it, but how often are they going to do this? You know, if, if Jordan is going to keep being in them, right. If they do this all female spinoff, Mm-hmm. Why don't we see Brian again? You know, the, well, the question has to keep coming. Every time you use him, unless you're looking at some weird family situation where it's like, oh, my my twin sister, who I didn't realize I was separated <laughs> with at birth. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. Which also brings us, which I mean, we can kind of skip forward. We know that the end of the movie has got a Brian reference. It does. Where like we go all the way up shy of seeing Brian, but the implication of him is across the board. Oh, yeah. As we as we see the Toretto family go back to the, the familial home and we see Brian coming in in the old skyline. Um, I it's like a that. good scene. I really enjoyed it, but it did have that thing where it left me wanting. I was like, it's just so weird to do that without showing him. Like, yeah. it just, but I, I know they have to, and I'm. But as much as it was weird to do it without showing them, I'm actually glad they didn't try and get one of the brothers to sit in for a quick CGI face. You know what I mean? Yes, but I think that they're going to do that in the next one, so they might they as well too. have done it in this one. I think they are too. Now, if they I'm, don't, then I agree with the decision they made here. If they yeah. do, then yeah, why didn't you just go ahead and rip the bandaid off? Yeah, and that's the thing is, I really like the more I think about it, I know people are going to get upset, but I have no problem with it. So they could have, they should have just done it, because I know they're going to do it. They have to, or I don't, I guess have to is a weird way to put it. But if they're going to end this franchise, they should bring him back for canon stuff. You know, you know, this is the challenge around that, though, right? His brothers are not necessarily trained actors, are they? No. So I don't think so. I, I'm actually going to go check it out because I am curious. Um, but that was a little bit of the difference. I'm not saying Paul Walker was like the the epitome of all actors, but he was a fine actor. And you have that thing where it's like if his brothers aren't, then making him too big a part of the movie is hard to do without it becoming a little too obvious, right? Or do you think that maybe they could find a way to pull it off? I think they could find a way to pull it off. I mean, I don't imagine that it'll be Brian in action sequences. Because I think having him in the movie for too long would border, would start to border on disrespect. But if it's just a quick cameo, like I'm saying grace kind of thing, like fine. I think it would almost be interesting if they made some kind of crazy we went into a wormhole and we all traveled five years into the future or five ten years in the future but the world stayed the same and um they just bring an older actor to play brian (laughs) (laughs) that would be interesting if they're like hey josh brolin can you play (laughs) brian o'connor in these two movies 
like as a 70 year old yeah <laughs> she's not that old i don't think no no i'm just saying which i mean because you gotta for me for me you've got to you gotta think paul walker was like 40 when he died and clearly looked like it and that would put brian's character roughly around 40 30 years removed is about as much as I'm going to need to be able to believe that he looks this different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it can't just be like, oh, look, 10 years in the future. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's fair. I just think it would be a fun way, a fun way well, to re- do it. Re- I, I agree to it to an extent, but also the fact that Vin Diesel still looks like Vin Diesel and he's been Dom for 20 years now is enough to kind of show you that even in a 20-year span, people look the same, and it's going to be hard to get over that. But, I mean, you can still do it, but I think you run into the same problem we talked about with something like Black Panther, where you run yourself into a hole where it's like you either recast and just say, like, this is what we got to do. You either get rid of it and say, no more Black Panther. We're going to let that be his role. And Chadwick, that was his defining thing in the MCU, and we'll never let anybody else touch it. Or you completely pretend the character's there even though he's not, you know? Like kind of what they're choosing to do here. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how they keep going with it because eventually I do think you have to kind of do something to keep him in and be like, okay, there's a reason why we're not – we're seeing him, but there's a reason why he's still not out here. But um, that – I don't know. That leads me to a question that I have for you. Do you find it interesting – and this is like a serious question because I don't. I thought about it for myself. I don't. I don't know how to answer it. If I were Brian, and I knew that I was a really skilled asset to be able to assist in saving the world, and as often as it appears to be that the world is on the verge of destruction in this series, is pretty often. Okay. What benefit? Or how do you think that that process would go down in a character like Brian's head, looking at it from the standpoint of by being out there, I'm risking not being able to return to my child, but, but the world by is not being out there, I'm not out there to make sure that the world's not going to end so that my child still has a world. Yeah. And how much do you think that plays into the idea of like the family and his trust for Dom that he's so trustful of Dom's ability that he's willing to stay on the sideline and live the life he wants to because he knows that the world will always be safe. I mean, how do you think that plays out in that lore Uh, and with that character? I think it's exactly what you said. He realizes that Dom can, and the crew can handle it without him and his kid needs him more. I think it's that simple. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's also how they used uh, Jordana Brewster's character here because I feel like Mia is not needed in this movie. She's here because of the emotional tie to her family. Right. Like she's used, but the crew doesn't have to have her. No, they don't need her at all. Yeah, so she could, as if it were anything else, trust that they have it. She wants to be here because of the emotional stakes of, Mm -hmm. uh, of the familial connection. I agree with that completely. Okay, interesting. All right, so we get towards uh, closer toward the end of the movie, at least, because these movies are long, man. That's yeah. the thing that like keeps coming up to me. I'm I'm always like, eh, where are we at here? You know, like why is this taking <laughs> so long? <laughs> we get to the point where they start to kind of. I should back up because we did, yeah. we didn't get all the way through Han coming back. Oh Han no, coming we back is a big moment. It is a big moment. 
Hashtag justice for Han. <laughs> um, you know what I find weird is that like Justin Lin was like, I didn't realize people had such a love for Han. Really? <laughs> That's what he said. And um, which to be fair, he kind of talked about it. Like he didn't necessarily, he wasn't part of the movie where Han was killed. Apparently. I don't really know. Um, or I know what it was. He was part of seven when Han was killed. He wasn't part of eight, if I recall. And, um, or maybe seven or eight, but either way, he didn't realize that Deckard was going to be kind of looped back into the fold. And that's why everyone was upset about Han's death because now we had the guy who killed him and was a homicidal maniac one movie ago being a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, I think we talked about it, but I really do think the Statham stuff's kind of weird, or the Shaw stuff's kind of weird. <clears throat> it is. I mean, it's hard to get away from, right? Like them all being buddy buddy at the end of eight or whatever. So, like, dude, do you, you feel you this movie's? Do you think this movie's trying to deal with that? Because we can go ahead. I think this is important. While we're talking about that, the post-credit scene. Which yeah. there was only one, correct? Yeah, there's. I think there's or only mid-credit one. scene, but. Um, is we see Shaw doing some punching bag stuff <laughs> uh, to a guy inside of a punching bag, and then we see a knock. We hear a knock on the door. He zips the bag back up to put the guy back up, and he opens the door, and it's Han. Correct? It's correct. Yes. Okay. So, do you? One of the things this movie does is it shows that Han faked his death. True. But I feel like this movie's trying to go back and retcon that. But I don't know. It's weird. Because it to me, the movie, and I want to see if you're on the same page or if I took it wrong, the movie's trying to imply that somehow, some way, Mr. Nobody either orchestrated Shaw hitting him to fake the death or, which would mm-hmm. make zero sense, first of all, zero <laughs> yeah. sense. Uh, the entirety of Seven shouldn't have even happened at that point then. Um, or that the wreck happened or he knew the wreck was going to be coming. And so they let Shaw believe he killed Han, but he already had the plan to get Han out as a Uh, way to have a viable story. I mean, what do you think the movie's trying to tell you? And then what about Han showing up to his doorstep? Is that to imply that Shaw and Han were somewhat in cahoots the whole time, which makes zero sense. I don't think it's the, it's them in cahoots at all because i think shaw seems very surprised that he's still alive um dude honestly i don't think they explain it well enough and all i took out of it was that there was a hologram of han in the car that just (laughs) went off that's all because if you think right because you can look at it two ways you can look at that little like han in the car fade out as just that's when he escaped or you can look at it as han was never in the car the car was a drone with a hologram of han and that's why it flicked off. You know what I mean? Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Because yeah, have I mean, I get I get what you say, and I think this movie does set up the idea for drones. <clears throat> when you have that uh, the moment during the final chase, when we see Cipher piloting the the plane, and whenever she ends up wrecking it, you uh, you hear her go, "Oh no!" and then bam, and then 
she's perfectly fine. She just gets out of a cockpit because yeah. it was a drone. And isn't but, she, doesn't she appear to be in the drone throughout that whole thing? Cause I thought yes. she died. Yeah. Yes. So that's exactly, that's a hundred percent exactly what it is. If anything, this, this series is going to end. Okay. You know what? Now I, I, I know it's going to happen in, in 10 and 11. I know I've already figured it out. <laughs> enlighten us, enlighten us. Uh, uh, who have not figured it out. Cypher is, is working. Cypher, the director, and whoever this rich kid is, they're all working for nobody, and they're just training Dom and the tr- the crew basically. Maybe not the training part, but they're definitely all in cahoots. So you're saying the director of that of the Hobbs, company, from Hobbs, from Hobbs and Shaw, Shaw Edion or whatever, Edion. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. And that this whole time, what it's been about. Uh, nobody reaching out and doing his thing is because he was kind of just prepping. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it is? Do you think it's that he was prepping to get their trust so that they'd never see it coming, that he was actually a bad guy to begin with? Or everything that they've been going after. like Has okay. not actually been. Well, think about all of this. All the stuff that they're going after because they work for... Mr. Nobody is being given to Mr. Nobody. So Mr. Nobody currently has the virus, you know, all this kind of stuff. He has everything that they've been trying to stop. Well, does he? Because, like, you know, he was he was out to get God's eye, and then he and didn't. He got it. And then, well, he, he got, got it, it, but then but, Cypher had it. Right. Who is working for Mr. Nobody. <laughs> and that's how you think it comes back around? Well, I think it comes back around because I think the tech that Cypher was using is the same tech they used for Han. Well, then I think that would also end up helping some of the Fate of the Furious stuff where, like, Mr. No... Which, I mean, I, I get that they try to explain it off because Cypher's a very talented hacker who would be able to do this. But without God's eye, she was able to find Mr. Nobody's brand new den that he just set up mm-hmm. to get God's eye. It would make more sense if this whole time... Um, what it was is that he told her where it was going to be and that's why no one ended up getting killed throughout all that and it was all orchestrated to where it felt real to those involved but the two people who were in cahoots as we're going to call it <laughs> that's a funny word uh, were, in on the, were in on it the whole time that would be interesting and then that would also explain why we don't know anything about Mr. Nobody's fate yeah He'll come back at the end and he'll be the director along with Agent Locke. <laughs> huh. I'm curious. So do you so you do think that the Hobbs and Shaw movies are gonna tie into the greater story of Fast and Furious and that's how they're gonna bring because you know there's rumors right now about Hobbs coming back into Fast Ten. He should, and I think I think that would make sense. And yes, I do think they're gonna relate. Mostly because I don't think they're gonna make another Hobbs and Shaw movie. So they might as well put them together. Are you sure they're not going to make another Hobbs and Shaw? I mean, if it's been announced, then I'm wrong. But I don't know. I don't. I can't imagine that movie did well enough. Yeah, you'd be wrong on that department. Its opening weekend was sixty million, uh, just a barely under what Fast uh, Nines was. And um, yeah, it appears uh, that there's already a sequel. Yeah, I thought so. Or at least that there's yeah, intent March, to be one. Because March thirty first, twenty twenty one, Dwayne Johnson confirms the sequel is in development. Okay, that's not surprising because I remember there was a thing about uh, that I saw the other day in retrospect, where um, 
Jason Statham said that part of him coming back for Hobbs and Shaw 2 is that he wanted to get paid the same as The Rock. Yeah. Um, which someone talked about, like, you know, that wouldn't end up happening because The Rock's like production company is involved in making it. Yeah. But I think what Jason Statham means is that he just wants to get paid for the actual film part, like to, for being a star at the same level since he's equally involved in the movie. And uh, that that's sensible. Yeah, and then the, I the guess. Rock gets makes more money because of the production company behind everything. That's true. I don't know. I'm not going to see that movie for Statham. I'm going to see it for The Rock. So, yeah, bold of him. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, when you're going to call something Hobbs and Shaw, I mean, I it bold. You're not wrong. I, you're not wrong. I, I agree that it's bold, but I understand where he's coming from. He may not even believe. He may he may be like, listen, I know they're coming to see you, but you put me as the second to you. You, you put me and you half and half on this cover. So, big boy, we're going to make the same amount. I'm just saying it's Hobbs number one, Shaw number two. That is true. This is not Shaw and Hobbs. That's true. But it's not like Hobbs, Hobbs and, the, and the Hobbits and then the Hobbits are shit. The Hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> the Hobbits are Shaw. Yeah. The Shawettes. The Shawbets. Oh, God. <laughs> that's going to be their celebrity name for the rock and, uh, and, and Shaw's sister. <laughs> it's going to be Shobbs. Shobbs. I like that one. Shobbs. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting idea on where it goes. I mean, I don't know for sure, uh, but yeah, all that happens. And you know, we've not really talked much about Otto, but that's because I don't really feel like Otto is important. Like I don't even remember who that is. So Otto is the financier as we're going to call him for Jacob. Oh, yeah, I just didn't like him at all. Well, like, I don't really know what importance he plays. Like, I get that a lot of this doesn't happen without him, but I don't see how he's any more than just a, a stepping stone for Jacob, okay. right? I don't, I don't mean to turn this into a joke, but I'm kind of going to turn it into a joke because I have a theory, right? We've been talking about this Jurassic Park crossover. <laughs> so what if this whole thing was to get Dom trained up doing these missions and then this movie the entire th- plot nobody the financier auto and cypher now are working to get dom and jacob to forgive each other and work together because at the end of jurassic w- fa- world fallen kingdom the dinosaurs have been re- released into the wild so they know that pretty soon they're going to need a crew to take down all of the dinosaurs. <laughs> so they needed to get Dom and Jacob back together because they're the two best in the world. Oh, boy. You know, I'll tell you, it's funny that we keep bringing up these because I actually think the ideal way to make this crossover have happened would have been surprise crossover. Don't even tell anybody and let the initial surprise and the word of mouth that comes from it just make people flood the theaters to want to yeah. see it. Where it turns out <laughs> that the whole way they did it in this movie, this would have been the one. Yeah. Uh, whenever they initially at the beginning of the movie go to find Mr. Nobody's plane on this remote island. Of Isla Nubar. It's a, it, yeah, it's actually, that's the island from Jurassic Kingdom. That would have been great. Or, or they have, World, whatever. Yeah, they have this, the whole running joke about them being invincible. And the movie ends and you see a giant T-Rex foot step on Roman, <laughs> except it misses. And you see Roman just standing between the toes and he stands up and he's like, I'm invincible. And then the T-Rex, just you hear the roar and it comes down and eats him. 
<laughs> and that's how the movie ends. Just goes fast nine, whatever Wiz Khalifa song plays at the end. <laughs> I'm a dope dealer. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know that song until yesterday, but every word was uh. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm having so much fun thinking about all the dumb possibilities of how this movie goes in a direction that has nothing to do with Fast and Furious. Dude, the most interesting thing I saw, which we've never even mentioned in uh, one article, called out that Universal also earns owns uh, the Purge series. Oh, God. And the Fast crew. The Forever Purge that's coming is going to have a... (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine what they could do with the fast crew in a purge what nobody's like you have this one day of the purge to pull this off because well, i can't right, protect the, the forever purge is is forever and so the, the the plot of the forever purge becomes a secret fast movie turns out the forever purge is fast 10 <laughs> and they film them back to back and they're going to surprise release it and it's going to be that the Forever Purge is happening and that the only crew that can stop it and set the world back to its normal order and get everybody together with their family, the important thing, is going to be Dom's crew. I love that. <laughs> with the newly restored power of brotherhood. I love that. <laughs> it's so stupid, but while we're talking about stupid... That's what this movie kind of did. Because listen, we're going to take a step back. I know that we're not quite at the end, and we've talked about some of them. But do you want to know the time that I could not keep myself from laughing to the point where I actually was a little worried that I was making the movie theater worse for other people? When? Whenever they're escaping from Otto coming in with all the troops and finding... um, Jacob and Mr. Nobody's old hideout and we get the revelation that Jacob used to do operations out of there and they go and they leave and then bang, everybody does their special thing. They turn the (coughs) magnet on and then they all start running. Okay. There's the scene where Dom puts Letty into the door, looks at her, goes till, till little B that I'm always in his heart and then shuts it and closes it. And then she just like melodramatically watches him fight off like 20 people, Mm -hmm. which as we've seen from Hobbs and Shaw is clearly nothing. Yeah. (laughs) But more importantly, we see this man grab two chains and pull down an entire concrete structure with his forearms only. <laughs> These movies are so fucking stupid. Because that... That entire scene was hilarious and dumb. And I loved it. Dude, I was laughing, but I was having a good time. But I was straight up cry laughing. Just shy of it. Because I thought it was so funny. How, how ridiculous every bit of the setup was. But, oh, yeah, dude, the moment I saw those two arms go up and grab those chains, I was like, what? Tell me he's not about to. And I was like, my mind was trying to do that thing of like, well, it'll just be like he's pulling down like a metal platform above, which is more believable. But no, he pulls down an entire. (laughs) Your mind was telling you no, but your body was telling me yes. Your body was telling you yes. Oh, man. 
yeah, that scene was so ridiculous. And then to follow it up with like the follow up flashback where like Dobbs going through and seeing his life either <laughs> flash before his eyes or he's using his newfound God powers, <laughs> whatever's going on. Uh, and it's his moment of clarity that makes him maybe view the situation with his brother a little differently. Um, and then the fact that like he opens his eyes and Letty's there like diving in and then he just wakes up. Everything about that. I'm like, so what? Letty just dove headfirst, opened the door, dove headfirst into water, picked him up, and then how did she get out of all the concrete-filled water back up to where he, she could lay him on a on a table? Every bit of it just felt like, okay. Yeah, it felt like a really cool scene that they were like, oh. How do we run out to, of this? Yeah, how do we fix this? Oh, we just don't. You just do it. Okay. And everybody's having a good time, so they don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That That's one of those most ridiculous things. Um, so during that last chase, this is something I thought was just kind of cool. We've got Han back, and I thought it was awesome that the car they have Han in at the back end of everything is a Supra which clearly Supras are very aligned with this series because of the original. But the Supra is a callback to his RX-7 from Tokyo Drift because it's like the exact paint scheme. And it was so sick. Yeah, I I agree with that part. Um, Let's see. I'm making sure I don't have anything else I want to talk about specifically within these these scenes because it was just (laughs) crazy. All right. So we go towards the end like we talked about. uh, the, The We call back to the crew doing the space stuff, the Tokyo Drift crew, because we need Tej and we need Roman to be our boys from the hood, as they wanted to say. Uh, or was it, What did they say? It was, it was something very close to that, if not that. Uh, but going into space and all the ridiculous stuff that comes into that. And <laughs> I thought it was interesting that they didn't... I thought it would have been really easy and maybe even low-hanging fruit. So maybe it's better they didn't. But I thought that'd be a callback to the fact that Tej would not even... Or not Tej, I'm sorry. Roman wouldn't was like deathly terrified to back out of the car in the plane in 7. But here we are two movies later and he's willing to be just in a car going up into atmosphere in space like he's freaking out but not in a degree like is that character growth yes i think that's <laughs> his i think that is the most character growth we can expect from fast and the furious which is okay from roman specifically yeah. in fast and furious can i check my email Fuck it, oh roman. man so yeah we get them into space and uh, that all works out awesomely and we get to see the the boys from the Tokyo Drift crew have some more comedic relief with uh, saying that they don't know if it's actually going to work while they're still on comms with the guys. Good moments. Uh, and then the back and forth of the storytelling is the, the, the basically uploading the Aries to the satellite and everything that happens with that. Trying to blow up this seemingly indestructible car and then somehow, or this truck, whatever you want to call it, and then this caravan truck somehow catching fire despite being invincible and seeming like it's falling apart before the CG model happens to roll and land straight up while Vin Diesel does like... Do you ever see the... I mean, I know you've seen the movie, I'm pretty sure. Um, Inception? When they have uh, the yeah. hallway that's rotating. No, I've like never seen through. Inception. 
Okay, well, that's a part of the movie. It's not a, a big spoiler. There's a part in Inception where <clears throat> they're in like a hallway and due to the movie, they're kind of like the hallway's spinning and they're like walking on it. And the way that they actually did that set was by building a hallway mm-hmm. and then putting a camera in it and the hallway would rotate while people would walk through it so that they could pull that off. Um, that's what it felt like. I'm a little sad that you haven't seen it because the whole thing of like Dom just like walking through the entirety of that car while it's flipping up and side down left and right was just crazy. Um, I mean, this movie and it's bouts with realism, right? That's why I think it's your, your brain wants to go to, it's a superhero movie. Right? Yeah. Cause it's like, nothing feels like it <clears throat> land this way. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this this thing that's tumbling downhill is going to land perfectly, and then he's going to be able to whip the end out perfectly to hit this drone while he jumps away perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it all goes towards telling Dom that he is a super skilled man, correct? Yeah, exactly. They're, the movie wants them to know they're superheroes, but it doesn't want to tell them. Or God. Or God. I like God better, actually. Because <laughs> then he has the, you know... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit there. And the Holy Spirit is Paul yeah. Walker. Is the Father the Father is his dad. The Holy Spirit is the car. Oh, the car? I thought it was the Paul. The son Walker. is his brother. That could be two. That could be two. <laughs> well, it can't be Brian. It has to be Paul Walker. <laughs> <laughs> he might be gonna, the, best the movie's Paul. gonna tell us that Vin Diesel is actually God. <laughs> That's the movie's gonna become very meta. <clears throat> I would, I would actually like the twist that Dominic Toretto is actually playing Vin Diesel and he's a god. <laughs> I would love the movie to have the balls to do that just because everyone would watch that movie and go, what? <laughs> <laughs> is this a self-insert? No. Is it? Oh, man. Uh, so after everything's said and done, it leads us to another Brian callback uh, where we get the moment for Dom and Mia to kind of reconcile with Jacob and kind of have their moment together. And Dom kind of realized where he failed Jacob, even though you and I are both kind of in agreement that arguably you could say he did, but also Jacob just hated him <laughs> because yeah. that's what the story needed. Um, but still, they have that moment. And then uh, Jacob kind of trying to be part of the family gives the keys back to Dom, right? Mm. And then Dom gives him a 10-second car. Yeah. Bam, bam. I was a, I kind of liked that. I actually did like that as well. I like this is a cool way to tie it back to the first movie where the stakes are not near as high. <laughs> but, you know, kind of how it is. Um and then we already talked about the post-credit scene. So the only thing we really haven't talked about is the uh the barbecue scene at the end. Yeah. Which my hope for the barbecue scene, right? And I'm curious. I love that Han and Sean and by the way, Bow Wow's looking rough. Ooh, poor yeah, guy. Yeah, he does not look great. <laughs> I mean, good for him. I'm glad he's in the movie. I'm glad yeah. to see him. But got a paycheck. Neither does uh, I can't remember his name. Shane Black, I think is that his name? Oh, you talking about Sean's actor? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Lucas Black. Oh, okay. I mean, yes. Lucas Black looks better than than Bow Wow, if I'm being he honest. Does. But he looked, it was like opposites, where Bow Wow got a little bigger and Black got very skinny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like, like very hey, skinny. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Lucas Black, if you need us, buddy, we're here to talk. Yep. Um, 
No, but I was so excited to see that because my hope is that means that here on out, they're like part of the crew. Like I want the next movie to have my Tokyo Drift boys. And if they're not, I, I think my biggest like sad thing here is we didn't get a part where we got to see Sean just fucking shredding in a vehicle. I think that's what made me sad. I, I wanted to see him like fucking being with the guys. Like he know he, he's, you know, he, he's not a bitch. Dude, he's he DK. He's the Drift King. He is. Well, uh, assuming that. Dom didn't, Dom, beat him Dom didn't beat him at the end. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to embarrass you in Tokyo and then go home. <laughs> yeah. So interesting to say the least, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I want to see more of them. And then I, I, of course, the fact that Hobbs is not there, I think is interesting because clearly he <laughs> didn't want to be um, not, uh, not Hobbs actual, but uh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, or not Vin Diesel. I guess Vin Diesel didn't want The Rock to be there. Who knows? I guess so. I have a fundamental question for you I'm curious about. Um, Did you notice that this was one of the only movies not written by the same guy as the rest of them? Uh, Actually, no. I did not look to see who the writers were. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more curious if you could tell like through the movie that it was different. I I mean, I think that it felt decidedly different from Fate. Mm -hmm. But I thought regard i'm not gonna say that was necessarily on my on my mind like oh different writer i thought it was just like a different tone like you know the funny thing about this movie right is that fate of the furious as much as it tries to be about the nuclear warheads and everything what is the movie actually telling you that these the the hardest challenge that the team could possibly face is going against toretto mm-hmm. all right and what does this movie do this movie, in a very different way, not by having the Toretto we've always known have to turn against his crew, but in this movie, we see Dom back with his crew being the Toretto that we know. The only thing that... So everybody else had to go against Toretto, but the only reason they won is because Dom basically was on their side the whole time as much as he looked like he wasn't. All right? So now what do you do in this movie? Well, it's not as seriously written because it's not about Dom betraying, but it's about Dom... And the group going against the Toretto, the only thing that we've known in these movies to be like a serious challenge for the crew as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. So I, that is weird because I feel like it's slightly putting it in a box where like, is it going to have to always be a Toretto? Because like the movies, in my opinion, have not set anybody else up, any other family up, anything that rivals what the movies want to tell you about who the Toretto's are and how basically god they are but you yeah. know what i mean yeah like how do you feel about that like i didn't notice a, an inherent difference like obviously in the writing but it felt different than actually i'll say this it did <clears throat> feel different than than six seven eight yeah six and seven felt kind of too serious but eight felt serious in a very different way and like an ominous way because of the portrayal but then the the low like the stupidest moments were just even more stupid in terms of like the comedic relief and stuff, making Roman even more flanderized. And then I feel like this movie kind of pulled back in a different way. It felt different. It felt more like five. I could see that. It does feel more like five. I guess this is the only one outside of two that was written by a different guy, um, which is interesting. I didn't notice really, but I did. I, I You can definitely tell that there's some different setups and writing in there, but... So was Tokyo Drift written by the same person as it was, yeah. all of them? Interesting. 
Interesting. Huh. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I was more that, just curious. I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting. But how do you feel about where they I mean, like I know you've talked about where you think it's gonna go, but let's say this. If you think that they're gonna go with Mr. Nobody being the guy, the yeah. person who's been built up to be more than them, right? Because they've already messed up with Etienne, right? I think Etienne probably would have worked as a main villain here of having someone who's more than human, right? Yeah. To go against what we have as like <clears throat> the the best of all humanity and and Dom Toretto and his brother now. I think if they would have saved Etienne to be that, like, oh, you've got to go against someone who's not. But the fact that Hobbs was able, uh, that Hobbs and Shaw were able to beat down Etienne's finest kind of already has ruined the Etienne thing. It's like they don't seem like as much of a threat as they should because you've used them too early. Yeah. It almost would have been interesting if Jacob was not played by Idris Elba, but he was the same guy, basically. Oh, where he was part of Etienne as well? Yeah. Or he was, you know, Etienne captured him and whatever. Yeah, do you think maybe the way that they play this in, what you're talking about, is that Mr. Nobody, how you were talking about being part of like the the crew behind it, do you think it's going to be that this whole time the reason he's not died or done anything is he like played off his uh, getting shot in six or whatever it was, uh, what is coming down to him actually being a cyborg? Like basically being what Idris Elba was, I hope so. <laughs> that and would be kind of cool. Be the, the, that'll be the thing. That's how they pull off. Well, yeah, it's Ezion again, but it's the head of Ezion. It's the master. You know what yeah, we thought director. was. Yeah, what we thought was the the head. You know the the best that Ezion could do with um, Idris Elba's. Um, I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, Brixton is actually nothing in comparison to how integrated um, Mister Nobody is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just know. think that would be very interesting. But I would have I would have I think been more scared of Jacob if he was the super soldier and if, you know, John Cena could act. I mean, he definitely chose a role where he didn't have to act much. Like he he's fine. I wasn't like they, Ugh. There's one scene, it's at the end when um Mia and them are try after he leaves in the orange car and he comes back to save them. And yeah. It makes me laugh every time when Mia just goes, I can't get to Dom. And then you see uh, Jacob fly in and he just goes, but I, I can. can. <laughs> like, <laughs> hell yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. It was it me laugh. or was it Letty? I think it's Letty. Who said, it might have been Letty. Yeah, I'm not it sure. It was one of them. Yeah. I can't get up front. I can't get to you, Dom. Yeah. <laughs> but I can. I couldn't stop laughing. That was, I think, my favorite quote of the whole thing. Yeah. It's also a good one. The the downside is, is you know how hard it's going to be to pull a quote for the intro. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> I guess I'm going to hope don't. somebody. I, I'm going to hope that some of the best lines are in the trailer. Which, just, let's talk about the trailer for a second. Okay. So, one of the things is, it's going to end up being part of uh, Blake's response to the. Yeah, I was, was going to say, should we just read that? So we yeah, can go, ahead, kinda, go ahead. So um, when I put in the Discord that we were doing this, Blake said. Absolutely the dumbest movie I've ever seen. I loved every fucking second of it. Hell yeah, brother. Only thing I hated was the mar- the marketing ruined both surprises. John Cena being his brother and Han coming back. Um, yeah, it's really weird that they did that. So here's the question that I feel like I know the answer for me and you, but I'm yeah. curious as to what data suggested otherwise. Because uh, you could think that, right, like, 
you could say, well, they gave away a big part of Fate of the Furious by showing in the trailers that Dom betrayed them. Well, I think it's because they gave you a little bit of rope to try and get you on, and then they hooked you and get you to come in and watch the movie just to find out that the actual twist is not that Dom turned on them. That's not the twist. The twist is that Dom never actually turned on them, and he had a plan all along. Yeah. You know, and I think the thing about this movie is that I I think that you can introduce John Cena and show him and everything as Jake, if that's even what you want to say. You can be like, oh, this is Jacob. And, and I think that you save Han, but it's weird because everybody's doing this justice for Han thing. So I'm sure in the trailer they wanted to show that Han's coming back uh, while they're also showing the rest of the Tokyo Drift crew. Though I think you could have showed the Tokyo Drift crew. People would have been excited who liked that and then, bam, surprise you with a double whammy of Han, right? Yeah, that's and what I would John Cena, you could just you didn't have to show he's your brother. You could let that be the the reveal because it does kind of take the wind out of yourselves when you're watching the movie. When you see the necklace and you're like, "Well, I already know it's his brother," so you know. Do you think that you'd be looking differently when you see Dom kind of zoom in and you'd be like, "Wait, what the fuck? Why is he wearing that necklace?" Mm-hmm. Do you think that you would have had that, or do you think you would have just seen the necklace? Do you think you would have made the tie of like family? Oh, I would have made it with the necklace because I did in the theater. I saw the necklace on the screen. And I was like, oh, that's Jacob, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's, it. That, that's fair. And I mean, of course you saw the, uh, and I think it's also because of the way the movie put the intro in, right? You saw Jacob having the necklace on with the flashback yeah. at the beginning. I think there was a better way to hide Jacob. And then uh, you could still show the flashback. But I think they're using the necklace as a defining way to tell who's who, right? Well, that's why that's how we know it's Jacob. So when we come back, though John Cena doesn't really look like that kid, uh, he's wearing a necklace. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that kid did not have a, a cleft chin. Yeah, I don't think he did. <laughs> Neither of them looked like Diesel or Cena. I'll, I'll give the, at least the kid that they chose for Vin Diesel, to me, looks more like Vin Diesel. Than the he did kid look like more like Vin Diesel, but... I look more like George Lopez than you. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Uh, that's not necessarily what I'm getting at. I think even like <laughs> facial features to a degree, they tried a little harder, it seems. And yeah. I like how they, I, I wonder if that kid's like, or that, I say kid, but I wonder if that actor has a naturally deep voice or if he specifically spoke deeper. So they could try It sounded dumb. like he was pulling it, he was pulling it off. You know what I mean? He was doing that. Hamming it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it is weird that you would take that. I always find it interesting when marketing takes the sales out of a movie for me. And mm-hmm. it happens a lot. It like does. I don't know what it is with the current marketing thing, but I feel like a lot of movies are like, we got to give them one of the big things in the trailer to hook them into coming to see it. Well, I, th- I think a lot of it is like the third act is the most interest is the most explosive in a lot of these things. Sure. So then the third act is where you reveal a lot of stuff. So I think you get accidental reveals that way too. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the ending of this movie is also in the trailers. Like it's all that kind of stuff. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, and I get that to a degree, you're just along for the ride. That's kind of what these movies are about. But I think leaving some surprise would have been nice. I I just, to me, I think that the fan uproar, which I guess technically is the same thing, right? The day that the trailer goes live and you see Han in it, the internet uproars and goes, Oh my God, Han's back. Hashtag justice for Han. We got it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but which one's cooler? Being quiet about it until the movie hits and then everybody's going and seeing it and then being like, ah, they did it. They did do justice for Han. 
or just having somebody have that excitement over just a trailer. Like, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like, arguably, I guess if you do it in the trailer, people get hyped about it, potentially post about it, and people who never watched Fast and Furious or fell off like me see people being excited about it or have a friend that gets excited and goes, dude, we got to rewatch all the Fast and Furious and bam, now you got more viewers coming in that are new. Like, do you think that's the mind pro- mindset behind it? Yeah, I think so. It's just, oh, look at this cool stuff. I think that's what it is. Like, they put the space stuff in the trailers, you know? It's just a matter of selling you on the movie, which I get, but it does soil a little bit of the watching experience. Yeah, but I think my thing is, like, you know, if we've learned anything from all these, like, uh, kind of viral ARG-style reveals that are happening in video games, not often, but sometimes do, like all the Kojima stuff, is that there's a fun element to teasing something and making a reference that someone who's a big fan could draw the draw towards and be like, is that is that tipping off what I think it's tipping off? I think that there's a way that you can show, like imagine the trailer where you see the Tokyo Drift crew and then you see it cut to the Supra that has the same colors as Han's RX-7. And then it goes away. It's a quick flash and you see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are big fans are like, wait a minute, what? What? <laughs> Is that was my that boy? Was, was that Hans RX-7? And then they go back and they look and like, wait, it's not an RX-7. It's a Supra, but it's got his colors. Is that Han? And it gets them that kind of little excitement where you still get people kind of pulling off the hype, but not quite sure. And now it's hitting that conspiracy territory yeah. and they're having fun and then people have been joking about Fast and Furious going to space for a long time so what you can do is you can show um, you can show that the guys from Tokyo Drift are working on like a, a rocket engine don't show the car just show the rocket engine mm-hmm. and then have a little quick thing of like a flash towards space and people start being like wait a minute like are we are they working on a rocket to send them up into space? And then you let people <laughs> infer information. Yeah, instead of giving it to them. Well, it's like, it's weird because tep- this is normally what you do for horror, right? The idea behind horror is that the human mind is so efficient at scaring you that great horror people know that it's not about what you do show, it's about what you don't show. So, like, exactly. the go to example is always like the aliens from, uh, from the original Aliens movie. You never see a full xenomorph body. Because it's not about that. All you need to see is like a hand and the head. And from what you see from that, your mind is just building crazy possibilities about what it could be. And that freaks you out more. So if you kind of look at that mentality and that that kind of idea, if you use that here and you let the creativity and the imagination of the people who are watching the trailer fill in the gaps, it's, it's similar. You know, you'll never be able to... You'll, which I know that there's some, some worry about expectations there, right? But the fun of that is that people are going to come up with crazy ideas that you could have never thought of and that are going to build out to crazy conspiracies that people have a blast with. And it makes them more excited than anything you could have ever shown them would have. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, we see it in the gaming world with the blue box stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's... I'm a little surprised that movies don't do that. Like it seems like it'd be relatively easy to do. Like a good example to a to a degree. It's not a perfect example because it was more of kind of building up over time. But Zack Snyder's Justice League is a good example of something that was kind of done similarly. So Zack Snyder would like update this 
image and you'd see little things are like, is this Justice League related? Like, is this Justice League lore in like a chart that's built on like ancient? It's like, oh, okay. And then like you kind of start to piece it together. Like, what does yeah. this mean? Does this mean that we're going to get Zack Snyder's Justice League? <gasps> and, <laughs> and then you kind of see people start freaking out and being like, oh, it's going to happen. And, and this is this. And this means that. And eventually it culminates in it being announced and people being excited and trying to find more connections until the movie just comes out. Like it's not a perfect example, but I think yeah. it goes to show that I get a group of fans can really hype something up and make a big deal. And <clears throat> naturally that word of mouth and that viral sense ends up making it excited where even longtime viewers are excited and then new viewers are excited because they're starting to look into Fast and Furious and be like, whoa, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is cool. That's probably what that rocks. means. Yeah. I'm here. I'm with you on that. I don't know. I don't really have a good explanation, but I just wish they would stop doing it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I just, I don't know. I just, I always wonder what drives marketing decisions because I feel like too often I've seen movies and the coolest parts of movies be put into the trailers. And I think it's because of the fact that the coolest parts of the movies being in the trailer tend to get you in the theater, but so they already got your money, but then you're disappointed. Yeah. That's <laughs> Cause you're true. like every, like nothing ever topped what you showed me in the trailer. And that's, um, that's an unfortunate problem to have to deal with. I don't really, I don't NBA know the best anyone. way around it. Yeah. I don't either. Just All right, man. Well, have better this, scenes. This is uh, the end of our fast nine road to fast nine. Vroom, vroom, uh, baby. All right, Chris, uh, with the road to Fast 9 being done, did you have a good time? I did. I I have a new lease on life. I now approach life a quarter mile at a time. So, (laughs) you know, the the funny thing is I made a joke that these movies gave me a new lease on life. But (laughs) I think I've talked about this openly that I've been trying to lose weight on the show. And (laughs) since we started this, I've lost like almost 30 pounds. It's like almost perfectly correlates to the beginning. So thank you, Vin Diesel. As much <laughs> shit as I've given you, you've motivated me to be a better person. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I really mean, hungry. I'm not cause... surprised, but you know. Oh, I can't believe. See, that's the problem. See, I'm in theaters. I couldn't do notes in real time. Yeah, he doesn't uh, say it, does he? No, he does. He get we get a we hungry joke here. Or I'm oh, hungry. really? Oh yes. yeah, 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 yeah. We do, we do, we do. Yeah, he's he's eating like the pie or whatever it is, and then they turn the magnet on so his fork and everything flies out, <laughs> and he's like, "Really, I'm hungry, man." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get like the small references where they don't say it, but it's clear, like when he eats all the candy and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the floating space candy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but I'm I'm so glad that that's like where we ended up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Brett, how did you feel about the movies? You know, I'm glad I watched them. That's really the best thing I can say. I'm so happy that you liked them. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to, uh, I won't say convince, but I'm glad that that's what you were, you know, because I didn't have an intent to do it. No. So, I mean. And it's great because Fast Five is your favorite uh, currently. So, yeah. I mean, that's Fast Five. I it's don't so see, good. <laughs> I, I, I don't see how it could be dethroned as a look of how this franchise is as a whole. Like I think it's the crowning jewel of where the franchise sits as the perfect blend between the start and the end. I don't think it's too over the over 
the top, but I think it's just over the top enough to where it still feels in line with the later movies um, while still feeling grounded and having just a, a style that none of the others have matched. I mean, that, that kind of Ocean's Eleven thing I was talking about is just so awesome. You know? I don't know what's other than that. That movie is just so fun because it's the only one that feels like an actual heist movie. The rest of them don't. Yeah, I actually absolutely agree. Like yeah. Blake has said multiple times to us, that it's the best heist movie of all time, and I hesitate to disagree. I know, right? It's it's one of those things where you feel kind of dumb for saying that about a Fast and Furious movie, <laughs> but then when you actually keep thinking, it's like, well, nothing else has really hit, so... I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Guess you ain't wrong. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I'm not surprised. It's just kind of where we are. Um, so, Chris, yes. rate the movie. Okay. Uh, four and a half stars. Four and a half stars. All right. It's yeah. interesting starting an episode with, this movie's bad, but I loved it. Four and a half stars. <laughs> I honestly think this might be the most rewatchable of all of them. It's very fun. I, I think five is still the most rewatchable to me um, because of the very lighthearted nature. But I think of all the ones that are post five, I think from six, seven, eight Hobbs and Shaw. And then this one, this is easily the most rewatchable of all of those. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. So I, I think five, like I said, five is just this weird, perfect middle ground. Yeah, I think my only thing with five is I don't necessarily think I would watch it a bunch where I could very much see Fast 9 being a movie I buy strictly to put on as background noise. Yeah, whereas Fast 5, when you do watch it, it's going to demand your attention, but you don't want to burn yourself out. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why as much as I thought Hobbs and Shaw was kind of bad, my friend said that his wife's comfort movie is Hobbs and Shaw. And that was before I had watched it. And I laugh at the notion because I just thought it was so funny because she like turns down all of his, like he loves like a lot of the Adam Sandler movies. I think I may have talked about this on one of the mm-hmm. episodes. And at the time I thought, what? But I could see someone strictly buying Hobbs and Shaw just because of the fact that it's perfect background fodder. It is. It's like, Oh, so, none of this matters and it's Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's odd because I don't think it's a good movie. So typically when I think of comfort movies, I think of movies that I find to be good movies. Mm-hmm. But if you just want a movie that you put on the background and it's fun and you don't have to pay too much attention, and if you look over, the chances of you having a good two seconds while you're looking are pretty high or laughing at some dumb thing that's said or <laughs> that you hear, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I would laugh at the sound of the rock grabbing the chain and pulling it of the helicopter. I don't even need to see it. I just know how stupid it is. Dude, you just described it and it made me laugh again. So, <laughs> which that was one of the funny things here is that Dom pulling those two chains. I was like, ah, I'm having flashbacks to Hobson Shock. <laughs> I actually thought the same thing. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you've done this already. All right, Chris, this is the hard part because this is the end of the road. Yeah. What is your what is your final ranking for the Fast series as we see it so far? All right, let me check. Let me double double check my lists here on my hashtag letterbox. All right, <clears throat> should I start from the top or the bottom? What do you think? Mm. We've been doing it best to worst. Okay, so do you want to follow that or do you want to build up? 
<laughs> start with the worst and work your way up. I'll start with I'll, I'll do it as we have been. So I would say five, nine, three, eight, seven, one, two, six. Hobbs and Shaw, <laughs> four. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Okay, it's interesting how much eight has fallen. Yeah, um, throughout the weeks because the interesting thing is the only thing we've watched besides nine now between eight and nine is Hobbs and Shaw, and yet by the time Hobbs and Shaw was done, I felt like eight had already dropped for you. Yeah, and I think uh, I think. This movie makes me like Tokyo Drift a little bit more than eight, because because okay. all those guys are back and I really like them. Yeah, except for Suki, them. we got no Suki in this movie. I was a little surprised that we didn't. Yeah, like genuinely, I really thought, well, surely, you know, like he did all this for the piece of ass. Does he still have it? <laughs> True. That was Neela, not Suki. Oh, you're right, Neela. Yeah, you're right. Suki's the other girl. Um, I thought. Uh, I thought uh, Neela was the girl from uh, Hobbs and Shaw, like Madame M or whatever. Ridiculous. Oh, the chick no, that... Uh, no I know it's not, but like for a little bit of the movie, I thought it was. I was like, this is a weird callback. He murders Han and then has sex with Neela, apparently. <laughs> but turns out I was mistaken. But yeah, I don't know. I really like Fate, and I would watch it again. But there's just something about five, nine, and three that are just five, nine, and three are like perfect representations of the shit I love in movies. Five is just a great movie. Nine is fucking stupid, and three <laughs> is also fucking stupid, but it's also hilarious <laughs> in like a like an actual comedy way where this is hilarious because of how fucking stupid it is in terms of nine. So I yeah. think that's why it's a, it's there for me. Those are my top three. Three is a great movie. And it's interesting that Tokyo Drift has kind of pushed itself up with every movie. I, I feel like, I, of course, we put it high to begin with. But I was really surprised to see, and this is a good thing, I was surprised to see how easy it was once I started getting into the films a little more to let one drift a little further back. I still think one's a fantastic movie. It is. Um, I just think that it gets harder to look at one within the context of the full series and it feel as, I don't know. Well, it's, you, it's better than a lot of the series in my opinion, but it just, the rest of them start to be like, one doesn't feel like it's part of the series as a whole as much as some of these other movies do, which is arguably the same as three, right? I don't think yeah. three feels like all the rest of them, but I think one is just so low stakes that it's kind of boring in comparison. Well, yeah, when when this becomes an action franchise, that's yeah. basically what it is. Because I think arguably the first movie is not an action movie. No, I would I would agree. I mean, the, the first movie is a crime drama. It's a copper movie. Yeah, I mean it's it's wrapped up in a bunch of you know bells and whistles that are fun, but in, in all reality, it's just a, a drama about you know a, a a cop who toes the line and and how he gets into this family and the drama that comes within it. I, I see uh, this is going to sound like blasphemy to someone, I'm sure. But I only say this because it's one of those things where I see more heat 
in Fast and Furious 1 than you do in something like Fast and Furious 9, you know? It's like, I wouldn't even think of heat at all, but I could at least look at someone kind of looking at the heat aspect of Fast and Furious 1 and be like, okay, cop meets with a guy, and even though it's under different, you know, uh, different motivations and it's not out in the open, it's like the cop gets a respect for the criminal and things go on. But either way, they're just very different movies. So my final ranking, it's really hard because nine is right now the, the one that is bouncing in my head. Well, what's your rating for nine? Oh, sorry. My rating for nine is uh, a four and a half as well. Oh, okay. I Hell had a yeah. great time. Stupid. Like you said, it's, it's such a dumb movie. So dumb. But I have a blast. That's the, it really is the only, like, it's, it's exactly what Blake said. It's the only way to really describe the movie. If you say anything, I, I would love to hear someone's argument that this is a genuinely fantastic movie, not in a just how stupid it is and how over the top action it is. If you could tell me something that's actually good about this movie, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I would agree. And my last, uh, finally, rather, my, uh, my ranking. Oh, I, I want to stick to my guns as much okay. as I'm going to say five, eight, three, nine, one, seven, two, six, four, Hobbs and Shaw. Wow. Hobbs and Shaw. Hold on. You have four and or six and Hobbs and Shaw below four. No, no. It was six. Four, okay. Then Hobbs and Shaw. Gotcha. I came really close to switching Hobbs or switching Hobbs and Shaw on four, but I hate four, and I don't hate Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw. Well, and I, I know that I want. That's why I'm kind of sticking to where I'm at. Your argument about being able to put something on kind of does give Hobbs and Shaw the benefit to a degree because I would never put four on just to watch it in the background. No. But Mm-mm. Hobbs and Shaw, as much as it made you fall asleep, it makes more sense to put on the background and just be like, okay. It's something that is there. So we'll see how 10 and 11 end up coming out. I, it's weird. I'm excited, but I'm also, it's weird that the one thing I've not been able to get away from completely in this movie is that with each subsequent release, my fear that it's going to completely jump the shark continues to rise. And I think I was starting to get over it until Hobbs and Shaw brought it back full force because Hobbs and Shaw is just stupid. And not stupid in the way where like I'm also having a good time because the action's fun and everything's going on. It was just stupid. <laughs> so I don't know. I have I, I live under constant fear from the, from this franchise that the next movie is just going to pull the line to where it's just all Hobbs and Shaw, and instead of having any cool moments, I'm just laughing maniacally the whole movie. Yep, I'm with you there. <laughs> but every every movie we see how we get to test that theory. <laughs> so we'll see keep Th- testing it that's that was the fear i had for five and i was woefully wrong uh but it did hit eventually and because of the rock so both of my <laughs> things were actually accurate um all right man well all thanks right. for joining me on it and uh it's been fun we'll have to kind of talk behind the scenes i'll go ahead and say um with Blake leaving the show and this being the one thing that we had done since he's left and this being kind of a big full project, we're going to take a week, maybe two weeks, maybe even a little bit more off. We're going to find out mm-hmm. just long enough to kind of figure out exactly what we want to do with the show. 
and do some rebranding efforts. Uh, so very likely we'll have a new um, intro song, music, whatever you want to call it. Very likely a new logo, yep. potentially a new format, uh, yeah. depending on what we talk about. So uh, if you've been enjoying the show so far, we appreciate it. Uh, if you have any feedback for the show of things you like, things you don't like, let us know because it may help us shape the show while we're in our down period. Yeah, give us so. some suggestions, you know. Um I think a lot of our, we, we kind of want to focus on the show a bit more. Um, and we try to do that a little bit with the last few Hobbs, uh, last few fast movies. So <laughs> the last few Hobbs and Shaw movies. Oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll be back. This is only one quarter of a mile. There'll be, oh, dude. At least three more quarters. To we're get coming to a back with. We'll, we'll, we're coming back with the Terminator. I hope you know. You're <clears> saying <throat> we'll be back. That's exactly what's happening. I feel. Like, I feel like we should come back with the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the fact that you said that made me think of this movie just like circling back around, and it turns out that <clears throat> in. Uh, Four, five, whatever movie we want to call it. Five seems reasonable, but let's let's just say it was four. One of those times, like whenever something happens, Dom's actually in a coma, and all of these movies have been happening in his head, and he's going to wake up, and it's just going to be like none of that crazy superhero-style crap has happened, and he was just a normal guy going after revenge for Letty. And Letty is still dead. <laughs> This so in an alternate universe, this is just the Taken franchise. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> hey, I mean, who knows? It who knows? Be, are we going to make a Fast and Furious multiverse? Yes, I think so. But yeah, and that I, explains Hobbs and Shaw. Bam, bam. Hobbs easy. is still a cop because he they, he never quit in that universe. He never quit in that universe. I like it. <laughs> Cool, man. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm excited to see where we decide to take it. Okay. Well, and we'll, then when we get on our road to Fast 10 Part 1, we'll... Are we going to rewatch all of them? We're going to rewatch all of them. <laughs> no. So we'll leave a door open for you. Not ding, happening. Ding, 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 ding. I hate you. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. God. You're going to make me quit this podcast and leave it a quarter mile behind me. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Everyone else fucking left me. Everybody else quit. Might as well just do it by myself. Fuck it. We're doing it live. (laughs) Hey, Chris. (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry about it, bud. I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Uh, You really fucked up. You should have said, don't even worry about it. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, yeah, don't even worry about it, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it around. I'll fix that. <laughs> All right, Chris. It's right, been buddy. fun, man. We'll come back around, and uh, me and you will do a bunch of talking behind the scenes. But thanks yeah. to all of our patrons. Uh, you guys are great. Y'all made us keep doing the show. Made us. You forced <laughs> us. You forced our hand. We you do f- want to give our patrons what they pay for, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> They held us down like a, like Tran did in the first movie and were just shoving yeah. oil down our throat. You will continue. Uh, Consume. Anyway. 
Oh, God. Man. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, so thank you all. And if you like the show, we're glad that you do. Uh, so to all of our patrons, be it for this or for Triangle Squared, uh, where Chris has also been joining me weekly to fill in for Saul to talk about gaming and PlayStation and all of that. Uh, we appreciate it. So without further ado, big shout out to our patrons. That's Kyle Grimm, Josh <laughs> Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke, Luke Bartolomeo, Bartolomeo, Sean Sanderud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes. Pope. This is his last month. Kevin Bacon Bits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stoner, Stoner. Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, <gasps> Chris Figs, Ooh. Zachary Sawyer. Landis, Rude Days 93, also his last month. Thank you, Rude Days. Uh, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, (coughs) Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Ham and Edgar. Thank you all so much. And that guy fucking trolls you with his little fucking name there. He's trying to trip you up. Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm. <laughs>